Welcome to the Consumer Rundown Podcast, your destination for the people, companies, and trends transforming today's consumer market. We are your hosts. I'm Penny. And I'm Dimitri. Today, we're talking to Cessna Mack, a principal at Amber Stone Ventures. Amber Stone is a venture capital firm that invests in early stage consumer brands with high growth potential. In this episode, Cessna will talk about the trends she's seeing in the consumer brand space, how she evaluates investment opportunities, and her advice for entrepreneurs who are looking to raise capital. Cessna, welcome to the Consumer Rundown podcast. It's great to meet you. Thanks for being on. Likewise. Thanks for having me. To start it off, can you give us an introduction? Sometimes it does help to start from the beginning because it's a bit windy, but I'm a principal at Amber Stone. I'm originally from Arlington, Texas. Went to school on the East Coast and moved over to the West Coast to do Teach for America before moving back to the East Coast to do consulting at Parthenon Business School in Philly, a growth equity firm down in LA, and joined Amberstone in 2021. That's definitely an unusual pathway to venture capital, to go from teaching to consulting to venture. Was venture always the goal? I actually had never heard of venture capital, especially growing up. For me, the venture path came a lot later in life. My parents are refugees from the Vietnam War, and we owned a convenience store growing up. I never thought about my parents as entrepreneurs, but they absolutely were when they opened up their convenience store. And I spent half of my life at that store and the other half of it in school, where teachers were really my family and really helped to build me up a lot of Uh, My trajectory in life, I think, has been driven by a North Star of just wanting to do some net positive good in this world. So actually, most of my background had been in education, social impact, child advocacy, which is what drove me to join Teach for America after college. And I really loved my students and my families, but didn't really understand how a lot of organizations were really driving decisions, both on the nonprofit side, but also for the for-profit side, which then drove me to management consulting and actually brought me back to my love of consumer. There are a number of incredible brands that line the shelves of convenience stores. So I was absolutely like a hot Cheetos soda cavity filled kid, but I fell back in love with consumer and the power of brands to bring people together and around great causes, especially when it comes to brands that people love. And so realized that the people when I was in consulting that brought the most table were those that were industry experts. It made really drove me to think through what did I want to become an expert in. And that led me to the health and wellness space and even more so into branded products. I love the tangibility. And most often for these products, they're just something that people want to share. And there were incredible entrepreneurs bringing better better products to market that gave consumers better choices. And I felt like that was a, a net positive way we can create change in this world. That's a great story. You mentioned there were skills that you developed as a teacher, as a consultant that has helped you in venture capital. Can you talk more about that? I think that this was a really great question and I think one that took a lot of time to develop. But I think whether it comes from being a teacher and trying to support students to working in a more corporate environment or maybe even being an entrepreneur, I think the biggest skill and biggest thing to practice is being the first to believe in yourself. As an investor, you really need to be able to come forward, make a recommendation. No one ever has full information on the future, what could happen. It's very much about understanding and weighing risk versus reward. And 
trusting that you are making the best decision possible at any at any one point in time and then I think that a level of adaptability as well as another major skill to continue practice because this world changes quite quickly as we've seen over the last couple of years. I agree with you. Believing in yourself is a journey, not a destination. It takes time, effort, and practice, but it's one of the most important skills you can develop for success in life. Going back to your journey, how did you end up in Amberstone? Can you talk more about its investment thesis? I joined Amberstone fairly serendipitously. The firm was founded in 2020. I joined in 2021. And I really just believed in Amberstone's thesis. So we generally lead seed through series B investments for merging branded consumer product companies. And I really loved the strategy in that most of the brands, by the time at which we invest, have been in market for quite some time, are revenue generating, have a couple of quarters, if not a couple of years under their belt from which we have data to evaluate and work through with brands. And so I appreciate being at the later stage where there is something to evaluate and underwrite and and work through with our teams. We also typically lead deals and service board members. So we partner really closely with our brands. I think one of the differences for Amberstone is we don't make a lot of investments a year. We probably do two to three new investments a year. A lot of that is from our standpoint and our belief that a more concentrated but higher conviction portfolio is the one in which we can create more outsized returns. And so we actually really believe in deep alignment with our founders and each one of them has to win. And of course, like all firms hope that that's the case, but I think that's much more written into our process and the way in which we work with teams. We try to help support a lot of our brands in becoming nationally distributed leaders across their categories. And we only focus as well on branded consumer product companies. I think that's something that we've spent our careers in and so have built up our experience. We never claim to be experts, but it's definitely the value that we bring. I think we've seen a lot of benefits from maintaining our focus in that space. That makes sense. Specialization is very beneficial. I found that in my own investing career, as I become more specialized and more focused, I become a better investor. Going back to the strategy at Amberstone, when does it become interesting for you guys to look at a company from a revenue perspective? In terms of revenue, most of the brands by the time at which we invest are at least five million in trailing net sales. I would say we generally meet brands even ahead of that because of how closely we work with teams. We very much value that ability to form a relationship in advance and being able to track a brand and team's journey and hopefully be helpful along the way. We do look for a pattern of execution and that provides us with additional proof points as to, you know, how does this team think through strategy, planning, how do they adapt, et cetera. Uh, How we look at product market fit is really based on how we think through the quality of revenue. So obviously as, as venture, there's, there's value growth, but we much more value. Like we're understanding where the growth is coming from. One of our four pillars has always been to work with teams to evaluate their gross margin. I think ventures has sometimes valued growth at all costs rather than necessarily building true businesses and For someone having come from an immigrant background where like cash is king, I think that it's something that I really value working with founders with, understanding where the dollars are going for growth and do you have the right business model to scale in what 
eventually will become a more profitable way. I think that focusing on gross margins from the start, that's been our approach on how to understand capital efficiency in a longer term view is um, increasingly important. And I'm really glad to see that happening a lot more in the industry as well. I also think it's a positive for the industry that there's more focus on profitability. But I want to dig deeper into your approach to company valuation. At a high level, to what extent are you focused on the quantitative versus qualitative data points? We are pretty focused on historical performance. So at a first pass, almost generally, the easiest way for us to kind of get to the next steps with founders is understanding that performance. So it's very much quantitative driven in terms of what does the growth look like? Where are their margins today? How capital efficient have they been? And then outside of that, we do look at team and brand. And ultimately, we partner very closely with our team. So there is just a level of alignment we need to believe in with the founders. We are minority investors. Our goal is to back the founders and management teams through to either their next growth equity round or to exit. I think some of our strongest founders are the ones that are really proactive in finding advisorship outside of us and really proactive in testing the market while it's a little more qualitative and understanding. It's definitely something that we have looked at more closely in terms of working styles. Obviously, the no ego and open to feedback element that we look for. We really need to be aligned on what are the brand core pillars and then how does that factor into the strategy behind growth? These are all great points. Shifting topics, I want to talk about the current funding environment. My observation is that it's difficult for good brand founders to raise money without a celebrity or creator backer. As a venture capitalist and a close observer of the industry, I'm seeing firsthand how much easier it is for startups to raise money when they have a celebrity or creator associated with them. I worry that this trend is crowding out good founders who don't have the same connections. What's your perspective? Such a great question. And there's a conference in our industry called Expo West. And I think one of the major themes I saw was just the rise of celebrity-backed brands. I think that the influencer ecosystem is getting so much larger that it, it you just can't ignore it. Having come from more of a mom-and-pop type background, sometimes it makes me a little sad to think that there are incredible products and founders, but who don't necessarily have that ecosystem or that network behind them that are working really hard to bring products and their brand to market. But at the same time, you can't underscore the fact that these influencers themselves are are entrepreneurs and building brands as well. So ultimately, I think that we're just going to continue to see the rise in them. And as an investor in consumer, I'm watching it closely, like what role do influencer celebrity backers come into play for a brand that doesn't have that already associated with them? Ultimately, I think that we'll continue to see more of it. And for brands that don't have one yet, it's understanding if and when to bring them on and how authentic that partnership is, because ultimately consumers can still see that too. And the highest quality brands are the ones that can bring that brand authenticity to life. Let's return to the topic of founder evaluation. When evaluating founders, what's a red flag for you? One thing that I'm listening for, how do they communicate the good and the bad? Because ultimately, as partners, we want to hear the bad as well, because you teams brought us on to help them 
to support them through challenges. And so I think, especially in fundraising, it's really easy to just want to share the good. But like, without a doubt, like every company has bad. That's <laughs> just what happens. There are going to be ups and downs. I kind of listen for how they're sharing the challenges that they've had, how they've addressed them. And if they struggle to do that, that's a red flag. I read a study that found that 65% of startups fail due to conflict among co-founders. As investors, we tend to over-index towards quantitative data points, but it's just as important to understand the team dynamics between the founders during diligence. Shifting gears, what do you believe is the primary role of a venture capitalist? Is it simply providing capital or do you see it as much more? I think our primary responsibility to our teams is making sure that they are equipped to see around corners, like financial and capital planning moving forward. A lot of it is general strategic planning on go-to-market strategy and how are we keeping that in line with where the market is today, what we're seeing. But I ask myself this all the time because as an investor and not having operated before, I had questioned whether I could bring enough value to teams if I didn't live with them through the trenches. And ultimately, I came to the conclusion and came across enough examples where I think there is room to be a great investor without necessarily, and great partner to teams without necessarily having been an operator. But it's something like I'm constantly seeking feedback from our teams. How do you be as valuable to the teams without getting in the way? I imagine it's a very common question that investors ask themselves and the founders that they work with. What's the feedback they've been getting? I think the biggest value that I hear from brands is they are so in the weeds on running the day-to-day business, which is obviously a full-time job in itself. A lot of our responsibility is like making sure they have a pulse on the market. What are we hearing from other teams? Where strategics are thinking? What other trends are going on? Also, just like the level of connections that we can bring at the right times. We support them a lot in bringing on advisors or new team members, thinking through our networks as well to connect them with the right people. To your point earlier about whether an investor can be a great investor without operating experience, as is the case with a lot of things, diversity in experience and in perspectives is really important. I'm sure the investment team at Amberstone is mixed mixed in terms of people who have operating experience and those who don't. And that probably gives you a richer, maybe holistic perspective than if your whole team were one or the other. A lot of my team has a mix of having stayed mostly on the investing side or have had operating experience as well. And I do think that provides a more holistic view and from that standpoint, hopefully can bring a more full picture and in the long-term view as well. Being around founders and being around entrepreneurs, do you ever catch the desire to start your own company? I think venture provides a great career path to really carve your own path. So in its own way, I do feel like I get to exercise my entrepreneurial muscles in how do I continue to find great companies? What sort of value do I want to or could I provide to them? And what are the ways in working that I want to have with the teams that I get to work with? 
do I have an itch to create my own company? Honestly, I feel a lot of ownership at the firm I'm at now. I think that our culture is very much one of if there's a great idea that you have, like go, go for it and run with it. And, you know, it's kind of within the bounds of our firm, but I think there's a lot of opportunity here as well. That's awesome. <laughs> if you were to create a company or startup in a sector or a theme within consumer, mm. what would that be? Oh man, I think I'm surprising myself with my answer, <laughs> but honestly, it would be some sort of automation software for inventory planning and mm. sales forecasting and I think that is one of the major challenges in the space and just how do you make that real time, but keep it flexible and adaptable to emerging brands. I'm noticing that there's a growing trend of software infrastructure being developed specifically for consumer brands, especially early stage ones focused on financial and marketing automation. One example of this is Confido, which focuses on financial automation and was a YC company a couple of years ago. I've also seen venture-focused firms diversifying their investment philosophy from CPG branded products to a combination of branded products and technology. As an investor in the space who focuses on branded products, I'm interested to see how this plays out. What's your perspective on this? I've seen a lot of consumer, originally consumer product-focused firms diversify into investing in tech-enabled services. And I actually think that's an amazing opportunity. I think there's a lot of room for growth. I'm seeing a lot more entrepreneurs in the space and I'm excited about it. For Amberstone, we have intentionally decided to focus only on branded consumer space because ultimately if a lot of firms are investing outside of that, then that gives us more opportunity. Our focus really helps us to build that muscle, that proof point, that network to be the leader in investing into the branded consumer space. So I do think that there's a lot of opportunity still here. Uh, so we're really excited to be continuing on this on this path. Do you think that if more firms continue to diversify their investments from pure play brand investing to a combination of brand investing technology, there will be a lack of capital for new consumer brands? We're already seeing that bifurcation for brands and finding access to capital at the earliest stages. Frankly, consumer is just a capital intensive type of business. There's a lot that brands need and founders need to invest in upfront working capital. Mm -hmm. And so I think actually there are a lot of alternative financing solutions that are being brought to market to bridge that gap. But I do think that enforces a lot of discipline to test early, like start small, grow in a way where you're being very disciplined about where your dollars are going before you receive a larger lump sum of capital to then dedicate towards growth. One of the major pitfalls for a lot of CPG branded founders that they grow too fast too soon, or they say yes to too many points of distribution before they're actually set up to grow in those channels. I think we're getting to our last question here, which is something we ask everybody. What philosophical or business principles drive you? The guiding light is you have to believe in yourself first. You have to understand what decision you're making and why are you making that decision at every turn and corner. And the more you have conviction in that, the more resilient you can be when someone doesn't think that that's the right approach or the more adaptive you can be, you should be listening to outside perspective or how you should be incorporating that out. For myself personally, I am 
someone who I love to see both sides of something. I love to understand different perspectives, but ultimately in this career and as like even founders and entrepreneurs, you have to make a decision. And that decision hopefully is going to help you progress. So there's going to be times when you have to force yourself to say yes or no. And for me, that's been the greatest learning and practice of the last many years. That's really insightful. Thanks for sharing. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your thoughts and wisdom. This concludes our episode with Sesta Mack from Emberstone Ventures. Thank you all for listening. Please subscribe for more episodes of the Consumer Rundown podcast and visit us at consumerrundown.com. See you next time.